farming's the well-oiled machine that underpins the Southland economy. But it's the region's tourist resort towns, coupled with its size and isolation, that have driven health officials in Southland and Otago to cooperate more with each other. In a New Zealand first, they've merged key jobs like finances, planning and funding, information and human resources, building on that to mount their first joint clinical service four months ago. The DHBs both also currently share the same chief executive officer. That's the Otago DHB chief executive, Brian Rousseau. He says the moves began with the decision by both boards early last year to formally establish what they refer to as the Southern Alliance. I think it's been the recognition by both Otago District Health Board and Southland District Health Board that in the long run we will in fact lose our clinical services because we are simply not big enough to ensure the sustainability of those services. And I think it's also linked to the trend of subspecialisation within services. For instance, if you look at um, ophthalmology today, ophthalmologists don't just want to do the eye, they want to do only little parts of the eye and as that subspecialisation occurs it provides a better service to the community as people do subspecialise but for very small district health boards like Otago and Southland it's impossible to have the number of clinicians at any one of the district health boards to in fact allow that subspecialisation to occur. Southland's got an almost brand new hospital but is finding, as are others, that attracting the doctors to fill it is an uphill battle. The DHB's short of 29 junior and senior doctors, and despite being in the red, is forking out up to $170 an hour for locum cover plus travel costs. Farmer Dennis Cairns, who chairs Southland DHB, rejects any suggestion that his board or the overall health system's in crisis, but acknowledges that workforce pressures are biting hard. It's an ongoing difficulty. I mean, we're in an international market for staff and we are at the bottom end of a, of a very small country, but we have a core of uh, very dedicated senior and junior clinicians and a wonderful nursing component. And whilst we're always looking to recruit, and from time to time individual services have difficulties with resignations, it's a moving feast. Dennis Cairn says it was more the need for both DHBs to provide equal access to care and services in expanding Queenstown and Wanaka that drove the collaboration. We are a small country of four million people and uh, the Otago and Southland communities are vast in area and small in population and under a population based funding formula that throws up some significant issues for both the Otago and the Southland Board and uh, we've just worked collaboratively to look at how we can take that uh, combined resource that we have and look for efficiencies and obviously we have a boundary line running through central Otago where Queenstown is part of the Southland District Health Board, Wanaka, Alexandra and Cromwell are part of Otago and we've got a huge population shift and uh, we need to deal with that and we need to deal with it collectively. The DHBs have also merged key committees, as Brian Rousseau explains. Legally, we're still required to have two separate committees, but they meet on the same day, at the same time, at the same venue. So effectively there's one meeting. And that's really important because those two committees really define the planning and funding strategies. And without aligned planning and funding strategies, you cannot get aligned service delivery. That's happening too, with the launch in December of the Joint Southern Blood and Cancer Service. 
Until now, Southlanders diagnosed with cancer have had to wait months to see a specialist prior to receiving treatment near a home, whereas in Otago there was hardly any wait. Southland Health Board Chief Dennis Cairns says that wouldn't do. It would seem quite bizarre. Because Otago had a bigger uh, critical mass and because it's also supported by academic posts of the university, they have uh, more uh, senior clinicians in in some areas. There was uh, some issues around where the boundary line was drawn about at what rate you access the care. And it just seemed bizarre to both Richard Thompson, the chair of Otago, and myself that uh, two people living on, in one family living on the other side of the boundary would have a different uh, access criteria. And, and we set about seeing if there was a, a common sense way of, of trying to resolve that. The accelerator's being rotated into the correct position to treat the patient. Dunedin Hospital's Emergency and Medical Clinical Director, oncologist Sean Costello, says the Joint Blood and Cancer Service, with its single budget, is a big improvement on Southland having to subcontract to buy radiation, medical oncology and haematology from Otago. We ran a waiting list for Otago and we ran a waiting list for Southland and it was the waiting lists in each area was dependent on the purchase decisions, I suppose, of funding and planning in the different areas. And the other problem was, of course, it creates barriers between the two provinces such that Southland patients could not come easily to Dunedin to be treated because they, there, was no, there was no funding to support that. Um, and equally, I, I guess, Otago patients couldn't easily go to Southland. So the main purpose of the creation of the Southern Blood and Cancer Service was to break down those barriers so we treated the population as a single population. And this comes across as the, the single waiting list idea. Um, but it's more than that, it's also a single administration as well. Blair McLaren is the Dunedin-based clinical head of the new service. We've been going down to Invercargill for many years and we saw all of the Southland patients down there. What we've done is, for their new patient appointments, we're now bringing them up here if it's quicker here. Now, if, if eventually those two equalise out, then we'll continue to see new patients down there. But essentially we want to keep their treatment, chemotherapy treatment in particular, as much as possible close to their home. Areas that need very highly specialised care are clearly going to be run out of um, bigger hospitals, but you've got to look at how can you manage the patients across the best region and give them the best deal from that service. And it shouldn't just be divided up on DHB lines. Sitting in his office in Dunedin Hospital, Brian Rousseau, who's the CEO of Otago DHB and interim CEO of Southland, says the joint service is delivering. At the moment, it's the first time since I can remember, and I've been here five years, that there's in fact been no waiting list for both um, chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Now, if that's what we can achieve by working together across Otago Southland, then my view is let's have more of it and um, let's provide the community with a better service. Getting the service up and running didn't happen overnight, however, as its head, Dunedin Medical Oncologist Blair McLaren, explains. It took a vast amount of work for us to set this up, but we've certainly been working towards this for a year or two, um, looking at various aspects of the service, and to be fair, we have been providing quite a reasonable service for a number of years. It's just as the service has grown and got more complex, the number of patients, the volumes have increased then it's become increasingly apparent that we couldn't manage it in the way we used to. Waiting lists are now longer in Dunedin, but Dr McLaren says benefits will cut both ways. This is beneficial to us because it gives us a critical mass of patients um, which allows us to maintain our expertise. And the more expertise we have, 
the better we are to be up to date with current care, the better we are at managing unusual cancers as well. And there are certain aspects of oncology that we've discussed here in the past that we don't see enough patients in, even in Otago Southland, which, such as there's a rare tumour called a sarcoma, for which we have a South Island um, focus, where Christchurch tends to maintain the expertise and we tend to, to refer to them. Otago Chairman Richard Thompson says they're not getting a lot out of it now, but that will change. I think longer term, as we bring the services closer together, it is going to be easier for us to attract and retain staff um, when we, we have you know, that, if you like, trio of the, the medical school, Otago, Southland. It all becomes a much more marketable proposition. And that's where some of the real benefit for Otago uh, and its population is going to be. Because we, uh, three or four years ago, would have said, we don't have a problem with retention and recruitment. I can't say that now. Uh, it is much harder, and um, we have to look at structures that will make it easier for us to do that. Health experts see a future where doctors continue to move around to see patients, where patients will still continue to travel for highly specialist services. But local services could be boosted as more care is delivered in the community. Gore resident Heather Hetaraka, whose husband Patrick has been treated for lung cancer, says doctors and patients, especially in rural areas, have always had to be flexible. It's a long time since our local hospital had a, a surgery, so to speak, so that, um, no, we have learnt over the last 20 or 30 years that if you want a service, you travel to where the service is. Mainland Air has just begun a new service linking Dunedin and Invercargill, but before that, the lack of a service saw the two DHBs chartering flights for doctors and staff travelling to and fro. Dunedin's Dr Costello says it's a big step up from driving. He says the blood and cancer service is the most promising development in 15 years. It's not just oncology. I mean, there are cardiologists, nephrologists, rheumatologists. There are numerous subspecialties now travelling down to see patients um, in Southland. And the likelihood is in the future that we may also see specialists travelling up. There are some subspecialties that Southland has that Dunedin hasn't got. An example would be infectious diseases. Closer cooperation has occurred largely under the public radar, which has suited the DHBs, who know it could become an emotive subject. Dunedin CEO Brian Rousseau. It's never been anything other than a 50-50 partnership in terms of how we go together. So if I could call it anything other than collaboration, I suppose I could call it a partnership. It's a commitment by the two bodies to work together for the benefit of the communities. Where do you think it might lead? Well, I think it's we're going to see more smaller services where the clinicians see the, the true benefit of working together. I, I think we will see some tremendous uh, improvements in those areas. And who knows, after that it's up to the politicians and up to the communities really. But um, effectively if we can achieve the benefits through the informal structures that we've established, then you know, maybe not much else has got to change. Otago Chairman Richard Thompson says it's meant learning how to disagree and move on. I tend to th see it a bit like a relationship. We've, um, we started off as good friends. We have been going out together now for some time. We're not really at the point where we might want to choose to live together and we're certainly not at the point where we're considering a marriage. And it has been just like a relationship. You take it day by day and you continue to make progress and you address the issues as they arise. Of the partners, Southland's wary but equally committed. Dennis Cairns. It could become a marriage, but at the moment we're engaged. Um, it's just common sense. It's just a smart way of taking the resources that you have and using them. 
without undermining the good things that exist in both DHBs and without losing the local focus on what are the issues that really need uh, driven. Mr Cairn says they've got more to lose by not embracing change. That's the only way that 4 million people can have a national health system that is effective is that we utilise every dollar and every skill in the most effective way. If you take a parochial view and say that you want all of this uh, right at your back door, you will finish up with an inferior service and you will finish up in a worse position than if you take a more inclusive position, in my view. In the Lower North Island, things are going less smoothly at the country's fourth smallest DHB. That is, excuse me, Clive, I'm going to interrupt you and remind you of our standing orders. Would you like to apologise to Elsa, please, for interrupting you then? I heard you say crap. Can we just adjourn this for one minute while I have a discussion? Whanganui DHB is another grappling with staff shortages and it's reeling from a critical inquiry by the Health and Disability Commissioner Ron Patterson sparked by botched sterilisation operations. Mr Patterson's urging DHBs to boost efforts at regional collaboration for the sake of services. It's left Whanganui viewing collaboration with neighbouring mid-central DHB as something of a lifeline, and they're consulting over their first joint clinical service in women's and children's health. The outgoing CEO at Whanganui, Memo Musa, says it's been hard work that has, for example, placed extra demands on the clinical leader, who's an anaesthetist. For him to get involved in the planning of this service means he can't be in theatre, means he can't be in outpatients, means he can't be running an out a pain clinic. So that work has to be put aside to give him time to concentrate on actually building services to look into the future. So we are balancing service provision and planning at the same time. Palmerston North paediatrician Jeff Brown says doctors, nurses and others who work with patients know what's needed and need time to organise it. We have got too many examples over the years where consultation and leadership and collaboration has not happened and it's turned to custard. You only have to look at the Auckland Labs fiasco where you know, it was imposed and there was no real consultation to see how a disaster can happen if you don't take that time. Michael Laws, who joined the Whanganui DHB in February, is aware of the past failures and wants drastic action, at least in his patch where he's also the mayor. He says one DHB could serve the central and western region of the Lower North Island. I'm saying get rid of our DHB. Well, people of Whanganui don't care who's the chairman of the board. They don't care who the senior management is here. As mayor of Whanganui, in my community, the only thing we care about is quality health services. We don't care if the chief executive is based in Palmerston North or Wellington or New Plymouth. We care only about one thing, give us good quality services locally. And because we're too small and because we're struggling in an undersupplied market and because of these, you know, you're going to get these sort of crises occurring, because we're consumed in dealing with them, those things are compromised. Kenneth Clark, Mid-Central DHB's medical director, says the planned joint service will achieve safe, sustainable services. Why hasn't it happened before? Well, uh, the, the DHB system in New Zealand encourages uh, the local perspective on delivery of health services, which in itself isn't, is far from a bad thing. Uh, local ownership and uh, local pride in a health service is a great thing, but uh, the realities in our provinces are that that's not always possible if we really are going to deliver the appropriate level of service. 
He says there's scope for other similar services between the two DHBs. It's quite good to even think of this initiative as something of a pilot, not an experiment, a pilot, whereby we can ensure in very acute, very high-stakes services that everything is working perfectly and and then uh, in other services, without doubt, there will be and should be more collaboration over service delivery. Collaboration isn't restricted to DHBs and isn't strictly new. Specialist networks pioneered by paediatricians a decade ago now also exist in several areas, notably cancer and burns. Paediatrician Jeff Brown says the need for greater collaboration is more urgent now across health. We've seen varying services fall over. Some are resuscitated, like the paediatric oncology service in Wellington, but others have just languished and they're trying increasingly in small hospitals and small departments, even in big cities, to try and cobble together these specialist services. The Director-General of Health, Stephen McKernan, says workforce shortages have helped drive growing awareness of the need to collaborate, but it's broader than that. I think the key issue for me, if we look at the landscape in New Zealand, is what are the sorts of services that should be sustainably delivered from places, whether they be large urban centres with large population bases or rural centres where some are struggling to provide some of the high-end specialist services. So we've heard about the Whanganui's, but equally what should the people in Tairawhiti expect? What should the people in Taranaki expect? How in some of the high-risk services, perhaps obstetrics comes to mind, paediatrics comes to mind, is how should those services look, how should clinicians engage at the local level with more specialist centres, how can we use new technologies, telemedicine and so on, to better support the delivery of services in some of these centres. Stephen McKernan says collaborations occurring regionally and nationally, but it's time to gear it up. We shouldn't be waiting till we have the next crisis in a district health board to respond. What we need is a more proactive way where the ministry and clinicians and boards can work together to better understand how services can be configured across this country and we embed that in a district health board model so we don't respond to the latest crisis that is occurring. Mr McKernan says the Health Ministry has begun work on a long-term plan that will build on the six-year-old DHB model which devolves responsibility for providing care to regions. This isn't about a radical rework, this is about some tweaking in terms of how we can make the model and decision-making for the four million people that we serve more easy. The health system may not need radical surgery, but Wairarapa DHB did. As you can see, it's built around a whole range of different courtyards and is all about bringing the outside to the inside. The Wairarapa DHB chief, David Mates, shows off the modern $32 million hospital which was an impossible dream for the community five years ago. That was when the DHB was in deep trouble. It was failing to meet government service quotas, losing $4.5 million a year and it was the most expensive hospital in the country to run. It's out of the red now, seeing more patients, doing more operations and leading in immunisation coverage. What changed? We really stepped back and said, so what are the services that we really like here? What are the services that don't make sense for us to to own, but ones that we do want to have or communities should be able to access? A total of 26 visiting consultants from Canterbury, Auckland, Wellington and Hart Valley now visit Masterton each week. 
The DHB also buys X-ray services from a private firm, Pacific Radiology, which sends one of 13 radiologists through Masterton for two days each week. Mr Mates boasts that all X-rays are now read within 24 hours, which helps patients. The biggest part was that we tended to think and blame everyone else for our problems. So our deficits, the difficulty maintaining services. The biggest change has really come within the region of saying, no, this is our problem. We need to sort it. And by taking ownership of the problem, it does change the mindset and the thinking. The other, uh, the second part is by moving away from that having to own all the services. Because if we try to own, and what I mean by own in terms of employing our own specialists in, in every type of service, there are some that doesn't make sense. We're too small to be able to do that. So in that type of situation, it makes a lot more sense for us to then think about how we provide the service locally and less interest in who owns or who is the, um, the ultimate employer. By changing that mindset, you can then come up with just about any service configuration um, you need to. Middlemore Intensive Care Specialist David Geller, who's also the government's chief medical advisor, says flexibility is key. We've got models of care actually within acute care hospitals and between and across district health boards that are not that flexible uh, and are the same sort of models of care that we've had for quite some time and quite clearly they need to be revised and this regionalisation process is one way of doing that. Dr Geller says it's not easy. There are a lot of things maintaining the status quo, there are some historical sort of you know, issues. I mean, I, I'm a Middlemore Hospital guy, you know, we've lived under the shadow of Auckland Hospital, you know, and in, for anybody who's lived in that shadow in the 1990s, they'll be anxious about going into a collaboration with Auckland, but we need to on lots of different regions. One who knows more about the complexities than most is Zoran Bolovich, head of the Technical Shared Services Agency, TAS, which is assisting collaboration among Lower North Island DHBs. He says health boards have seen the need to move from sharing things like laundry services and purchasing generally to other areas to embrace change and make the most of what they've got. It's not about closing down hospitals or anything like that. It is about actually boosting services in the community and also developing a degree, if you want, of specialisation between hospitals so that um, those hospitals that are particularly good at providing certain types of services, say, for example, elective surgery, become centres of excellence uh, in that type of activity and then really supporting our communities and patients and families to access those services when they need them and have those services provided to them in the best possible way. So it's, it's more about joined up thinking and uh, linking institutions in a way that is best for patients' needs rather than everyone, if you want, trying to do exactly the same thing in different places. The National Party intends to retain 21 DHBs but says improvements are needed. Tony Riles, the party's health spokesman. You're seeing in Otago and Southland the first positive signs of what regional cooperation down there has achieved, but there's nothing in the system that is actually encouraging district health boards to work more effectively in this way. What's needed is very strong leadership from the centre, but a strong commitment to involving doctors and nurses in that whole process. He says National believes funding arms of DHBs need to be brought together more effectively right around the country, and the party's consulting on that now. Tony Rao says it's the best hope for the struggling health system. Well, I think you're always going to require a presence of funding and planning people in various DHBs. What we are more interested in is making sure that the services 
being formed through regional clinical networks are matched with a regional funding approach. Now, I'm not going to speculate on what the structure will be formally about how many there'll be here or how many there'll be there. We'll be making announcements on that due course. What we are out discussing with DHBs and people in health is how we can make that work effectively. Wouldn't it be easier just to merge DHBs? Otago Chairman Richard Thompson says it's a question that'll need to be looked at at some stage. There's not necessarily a, you know, some inherently logical reason why it should be 21 as opposed to any other number. But there are 21 now and to simply force them together is not the best way to go. And I think Southland and Otago have taken the view that um, it may well be that one day we'll both wake up and say what on earth have we got two DHBs for? And if that's the case it'll be because we've done everything else right leading up to that or where we've got it wrong we've fixed it along the way. So we'll both wake up one day in that situation and feel look we don't actually need to have two DHPs. Until we get to that point, we probably do, because otherwise parochial interest and just the straight worry about um, what this might mean will get in the way. The Health Minister, David Cunliffe, says he won't cut the number of DHPs. I have no plans to change the DHB model or the number, but I do have plans to quite assertively encourage uh, greater shared services on a regional basis and a more central view of some of the critical enablers like workforce, information and finance. So we will, I think, see the DHB model transition into a tighter network while respecting uh, local accountability as well. Mr Cunliffe says greater regional collaboration will have to go hand in hand with other measures and is foreshadowing action to cut exorbitant locum costs. I think there's also essential we add to that a strong uh, central view of workforce planning um, and that we have rational outcomes system wide and there are some things I, I don't think are rational. Um, I do agree with those who say there's too much locuming going on say in junior doctors. Um, I think there's wastage and we need a more rational approach to that and it's no sense to have DHBs bidding each other up to pay premiums for nursing or medical staff to the additional cost of the system as a whole. The Minister says New Zealanders identify strongly with their DHBs, but these must be accountable. He says he's got all the tools he needs to make them work together, if necessary, but they're not resisting.